0: These 7. We're probably going to get through the first 14 verses, Lord willing. This particular chapter is a little easier than some of the things we've talked about in the last couple of chapters. Some of those things, at least for me, are not we're not super easy to understand at first glance, but. But many of these things that we see tonight, these, these things are, are really easy for us to understand and good things for us to, to hear. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 7, that's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms and Proverbs, just keep on turning, you're pretty close. We're about halfway through with the book. We've made it over the halfway point. We'll be finishing it up in a, in a few weeks. Ecclesiastes 7. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you tonight and I pray, God, that you'd give me the strength and the words to say to be able to effectively preach and teach your word tonight, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would would be here with us tonight, God, that you are the one who speaks to us. Let each of us see your word and hear your word, dear Lord. There's not a good word that I can say, but dear Lord, your word is good. So let us let us see what you say. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse one. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Now, this is kind of two thoughts. Maybe they go together in some way, but, but even separate, we can understand what they're saying here. It's pretty simple. A good name is better than fine perfume. A good name is something that is earned over time. Somebody may see you. They may have a good first impression of you, and that's a good thing. But, but as we examine the lives of those around us, and those around us examine us, we may find ourselves saying sometimes, he's a good man, or she's a good woman. Why have we come to that conclusion? We have seen the way that they have lived their life. And presumably in a, in a godly way. They have, done, they have done good things. They have been trustworthy. Uh, they are people that, that, that you look at and you say, man, they are a good example. And what does it say here? It says, a good name is better. It's better than what? It's better than fine perfume. Now, perfume can, can cover up a lot of stink, so to speak, right? Right? Uh, maybe we want to not we, we don't want to smell bad. We put on a little deodorant. We put on a little perfume. But but no matter how good you may smell, if what's on the inside is not good, then it doesn't matter. So a good name uh, that is your reputation is better than what's on the outside. What's on the inside. What's on the heart is what we want to focus on. Not not simply so we can walk through the piggly wiggly and people say, oh look at him, he's a good man. That shouldn't be our desire that we get that we get people to say that about us but but our actions should show that and should people say that about us then praise the lord we will boast in god but uh we don't want to be those who try to try to cover up that is our heart is dirty and nasty on the inside and in some ways they are uh but we don't want to be those who who try to fool other people and deceive other people if we see that there's bad things in our heart then we need to pray that god would help us to to change those things and try not to try not to cover them up even when you go to a funeral before a dead body, uh, it may be be sprayed with different types of things. And it may smell good, but the fact of the matter is, underneath it's dead. And we don't want to be those who smell good on the outside but are dead on the inside. We want to be good men and good women. We want to work to have a good name, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. And the day of one's death, better, excuse me, and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Okay, so... Same idea here. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Perhaps because uh, the day that you are dying, you leave the struggle behind, right? He's talked about the struggle of this life and, and the tragedies of this life. And, and there is some benefit to death. Now, I believe the older we get, especially if we walk with Christ, we understand that. When we're young, our life is before us. But it's pretty amazing how many people I go visit as they get older that many of them say, I'm ready to go home and be with the Lord. 80, 90 years old, they'll turn 80, and I'll say, well, 10 more years, you'll be 90. And oftentimes they'll say, oh, I hope not. I'm ready to go on. I don't want to linger on to 90 or 100. And as we we have lived this life and seen the things that this life has to offer and our bodies begin to decline and we've seen the struggle and we've been through the struggle, there comes a point where we say, I'm ready to go home. Now, maybe even younger we, we, we say that, man, I'm ready to leave this struggle. But as we get older, we realize that there's not much that this life has to offer once we've lived it and experienced the blessings of God. And so in that sense, the day of one's death is better, even for those that we love that are in Christ that may be young. It's a difficult thing for us. I'm not saying it's a great day when we lose those that we love. But for the one who is, who is sick and who is suffering, for them... Death is escape, is escape from this world, but not in eternal death, but rather an eternal life for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. When someone is born, what a joyous day that is, but for the one that is being born, they, they're going to have to go through the struggles of this life, and that's part of this life, but nonetheless, we all realize, no matter how young you may be tonight or how old you may be, you know that life is, is difficult. So when you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you. And with that comes difficulties, but also with that comes great blessing as well. God gives both to us. Now, uh, sometimes you may hear it said that uh, that you should uh, weep when one is born and die, uh, rejoice when one dies. Oftentimes you'll hear people say that. That's, that's not a scripture. I'm not really sure where that comes from. Perhaps that's the idea, a little bit in this case, but if you ever say that, that saying that you should uh, mourn one's birth and rejoice at, at one's death, uh, that's, not a, that's not a biblical saying. It's, it's probably taken from this idea. But the idea that, that there is some rejoicing to take place at death is, is, is what this passage is, is saying here. <clears throat> Verse 2, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Now, perhaps what is speaking of here, what I think it's speaking of, the house of mourning, if we're talking about death and we're talking about life, what does he say? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. And what is the reason why he says that? Since that is the end of mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Now, you've probably heard me say this, uh, at funerals. I say it pretty regular at funerals. That is, when we come together at a funeral before death, there's something about those days that gets us to think. When we're sitting here and we realize when someone has died, it kind of, in that moment, it, it really causes us to focus and say, whoa, life is short. Life is precious. And oftentimes, perhaps in those type of situations, we begin to reflect on our, on our own life. As we think about the person who has passed, maybe things that they have done, maybe just death itself causes us to think, you know, I'm going to die one day. Am I right with the Lord? Am I living the way I should? Am I going to have some regrets? Are there some things that I need to do? And so there's something about being in that place of mourning, being at that church, at that funeral, at that funeral hall, wherever it may be, that idea that when death comes, we come together and we mourn those who we lose, But oftentimes it causes us maybe to reflect on our own life in a way that hopefully will result in something positive. Uh, But it's better to do that than it is to go to a house of feasting, than it is to go to the party. Because when we're partying, we're not thinking about the things of the world. We're not reflecting on our life. We're not thinking about anything deep at all. In fact, we may be partying to escape the things of this world. We may begin to reflect on this life and the way we've been living, and we may want to escape those things because we don't like how we live. We don't like the consequences. We don't like when people tell us we sin. We don't like when God's Word tells us we sin. So let's go party. If we're partying, if we're feasting, if we're having a good time, we may not be thinking about things that really matter. But what does it say here? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because this is where all mankind is going. That is, in the house of mourning where death has occurred. Hey, guess what? You're going to die one day. It's going to happen. If Jesus Christ doesn't return and take you home, you are going to die one day. You may die really young. You may die really old. We have no way to know that. But one day we're going to leave this world. So we want to make sure that we're living for God while we're here so that we can live with God for all of eternity. Verse 3. Grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Now, we see the same idea that we just talked about there in that last verse, that the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. So if you're wise, you do reflect on your life. You do think about the things that matter. You do know that your life is finite. Your life on this earth, at least, is finite. It's not going to be forever and so you reflect on those things you reflect on how you live you reflect on how you interact with other people you reflect on how you serve god and how you're obedient to him that's what wise men and women do and so again the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning the heart of the fools in the house of pleasure the fool doesn't care about anything other than let's have a good time i don't care about the future i don't care about my life i don't care about how bad i am i don't care about what people think about me I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to go to the house of pleasure. And we don't want to be those who are foolish. We want to be those who are wise. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Now, this is a, this is a, t- a tough thing right here. We, we may not like to be rebuked, I would venture to say, that probably none of us on here really like to be rebuked. We probably don't sit at home every day and say, "Man, I hope I hope one of my friends, one of my brothers and sisters in Christ will come and rebuke me today." Now, maybe you do. Maybe if you're really feeling convicted about a sin, maybe you are hoping for that accountability. And if you're hoping for it that bad, maybe you just need to go to a brother and sister and say, "Look, I've sinned. Would you pray for me? I, I need to confess this, and and I need need somebody just to just to share this with." But likely we probably don't like it when wise people rebuke us. And sometimes people come to us and they are wise and they come with all love and, and they say, hey brother, hey sister, here's something that's going on. You shouldn't be living this way. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be acting in this way. And we probably become defensive. That's usually our first response. That's that's a foolish response, but that's our response. But we need to realize And maybe we don't realize it in the moment, but hopefully at some point very soon thereafter we realize, hey, does this person love me? Is what this person's saying, is it coming from a good heart? Does it line up with what God's Word says? And if so, if that rebuke is wise and godly, then hopefully we will accept that rebuke. Because what does it say? It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise person than what? Than to listen to the song of fools. Now there's a couple of ways maybe we could take that. Maybe the songs of fools are, are those songs if they're going to the, to the feast, if they're going to the party. maybe the fool's partying and music's playing in the background, and that's what they're hearing they're here they're, they're having the good time, they're hearing the music they don't care about anything else in the world. That could be what it means by the songs of fools. Uh, it also possibly could mean that that, that fools uh, songs are, are sung about them that is that is people people. Talk about the fool and, and speak well of them and say, oh, you're so good. And, and they celebrate the fool and they like, they like that attention. They like their friends telling them how great they are and, oh, do what you want to do. You can have fun. Keep living this lifestyle. You know, everything is good. And we like those praises from those around us. That's what the fool wants is the, is the praise of others, the songs of others. And so we don't want to be those who are foolish that want to listen to the songs of our of our parties and not think about the world or, or look for the praises of other and find find satisfaction in that but we want to be those who seek what is wise and sometimes what is wise is a rebuke from god or a rebuke from a brother and sister in christ or a rebuke from god's word and that's not good but it's better than being a fool and we need to remember that perhaps if god ever speaks to us through his word or through somebody else in that way For like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Now, the fool is going to live foolishly. And what's going to be the result? The result is going to be destruction. What does he compare the fool to here? It's like the crackling of burning thorns under a pot. So that's the laughter of the fool. The fool is laughing and having a good time. Everything's good. Oh, it's so great. I ain't worried about anything else. All is good. But... The fool's destruction will come quickly, just as that crackling of those thorns. Thorns crackle and pop, and they burn up really quickly, and then they're gone. Well, that's the laughter of the fool. It's, it's there for a moment, and it's gone the next moment. There's no, there's no good that comes from that. Now, for the wise that seek wisdom and heed the wise rebuke and heed the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of, of wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Right when we when we seek that type of wisdom and let that wisdom speak into us, we will that will that will result in in something better. But for the fool who gives in to the laughter and the party and in the sinful life and doesn't listen to wisdom, that's going to be a swift end. Verse seven. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool. A bribe destroys the mind. We got to be careful that we don't that we don't get persuaded to do things. Even those who are wise, we can't just say, well, I'm pretty wise, I know a lot of the Scripture, and I'm wise, so therefore I've got nothing to worry about. Well, be careful, because money is a powerful thing. Material things are pretty powerful. And what does it say here? That a bribe destroys the mind. So we want to make sure that we are not those who are easily bought over from somebody else or by something else, with some type of bribe or some type of extortion, but that we are those who remain wise and do the right thing and and, and are not uh, turned away into the foolishness that's being spoken of here. Verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. And both of those things are true. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. It's always good to finish something up. Perhaps you started school it's good to start school. You're excited when you're in kindergarten or when you start your first first month or two of college. But guess what? Pretty soon you think, man, I'm ready to get through with this. And then it's great. The beginning is good, but the end is better when you finally graduate. Even in good things. Uh, even on vacations, you think, man, I'm fixing to go on vacation. And it's great when you go on vacation. But sometimes coming home from vacation is better than going on vacation. Sometimes the end of the matter is better than the beginning of the matter. And there are many... Many things in life, we, we work hard and it's, and it's hard work and it's good to get up and work hard. But man, at the end of the day, when it's time to sit down and relax and quit, the end is better than the beginning. And so that's a, a pretty practical passage that we can we can relate to for sure. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Well, that's pretty easy to understand. And so we need to ask ourselves, Do am I proud or am I patient? Which one of these am I? Because if we are those who are proud, then, well, that's not a good way to be. But what does it say? It's better to be patient. So we need to to look at these things. These are are areas that we see throughout the Scripture that are important for us to reflect on to see, am I proud? Am I patient? And if we're not, then we need to ask God to help us in those ways. Verse 9. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. That's another good one. Are, are we those who quickly are angry? Maybe we are. Perhaps some uh, suffer with that more than others. Perhaps for some, that's your big temptation. Maybe it's anger. You hear something, somebody says something, and you just, you, just, you just go crazy right off the bat. You fly off the handle. You rush into anger. But what does it say? Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. So it's a foolish thing. And oftentimes when we are angry, We do foolish things. We say foolish things. We become fools in those moments. Now, we don't want to be those who, in our anger, do something that is foolish. We want to be those who keep that in check. So we need to make sure that we are not those who are giving in to that anger. But where does that anger come from? It says it abides in the heart. Now, that's what God really wants to work on all throughout Scripture, is He wants to work on our heart. And so if we're always angry all the time, then maybe there's something in our heart that does not need to be there. That's where we need to start. Okay, God, I'm struggling with anger, but God, my my heart's not right in this way. God, help me to see where my heart's wrong. God, heal my heart. God, cleanse my heart. God, give me the, the patience not to be angry. And God will help us with that. And there may be days we stumble, even after really seeking hard, but if we really try, God will help us to overcome our anger or whatever sin that it may be. But it's likely that... That sin, whatever it is, it comes from the heart. That's what Jesus said. Whatever comes, comes from the mouth uh, is, an, is an overflow from the heart. It, 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 and, and It's important for us to realize that. <clears throat> verse 10. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. Now, we talked about this the first Sunday of the year. We talked about this particular verse. The good old days. What about the good old days? But the good old days may never really have existed because you may look back when you were a child and you say, oh, those were the good old days. But your parents and grandparents, to them, they say, oh, the world's worse now than it's ever been. That's what they said when you were a kid. And now you've grown up and now you say, boy, the world was better when I was a kid. But Kids today that are living, it's the good old days. And then 50 years from now, if we're still here, all these kids will say, I remember the good old days. When were they? They were in 2023. But y'all are saying, wait a minute, 2023 is the worst time ever. And so the good old days is a relative term. And we can get into this trap of living in the past, maybe even making the past better than we thought it was. Maybe the past wasn't as good as what we thought it was. And maybe we sometimes fall into the trap of trying to go back to a better time that may not necessarily have been better. And that's not to say that in some ways in our past there might have been better times in our life. There certainly are probably days that we look at and say, man, that was a good time. I was, I was doing better then than I am now in, in some respect. I don't think that that necessarily in and of itself is, is a bad thing. But if we dwell on and get so focused on the days of the past that we're not living in the present and not looking to the future, uh, we may deceive ourselves with better days that were not necessarily better than what we have now. And he says it's not wise of you to ask this. Verse 11, wisdom is, is as good as an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as money is protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom perseveres the life of its owner. So wisdom is good, right? An inheritance is good. It's great if you get an inheritance. I mean, you haven't done anything to earn that. Somebody just says, here, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you this house. I'm giving you this money, whatever it may be. An inheritance is a good thing. But what does it say? Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun that is, people who live on the earth, that phrase under the sun or see the sun here for humanity. Uh, So wisdom is a benefit and advantage for humanity because wisdom is protection, right? If you make foolish choices, you're going to get in bad situations that may result in your own harm. But wisdom is for our protection. And it's interesting here that it says, as money is protection. Now, Money has some good, and I guess there is some protection in money. You perhaps could buy things to protect you. Or have some security, and, hey, I got a little money put back, and I got enough money to buy this or do this or, provi- or provide for my family or take care of certain things. I don't think that's a horrible thing. We have to make sure, however, that we're not trusting in our money alone and that all of our trust doesn't come in our wealth. You yeah, had to say, I got a little money, and it's good, and I can use that in good ways, and there's, there's a little little insurance there, so to speak, our a little, little security, if we can call it that. That's not in and of itself, I don't think, a bad thing, but oftentimes we trust so much in, oh, I've got to keep this much money because that's going to be my deliverance as long as I've got this much money. Because what we must realize is our money can be gone in an instant, or our money could be worthless in an instant. You've seen, you've seen it in countries around the world throughout history, there have been occasions where uh, economies collapsed overnight and dollar bills were blowing in the streets and you couldn't do nothing but build fires with them. That's all they were good for. And you say, well, that could never happen here. Well, it certainly could happen here because we are no better than any other people. And in fact, if we continue to live as we do as a society, I would not be surprised at all to see our world collapse in such a way. Not that I'm trying to be gloom or doom, but I'm saying that to say don't put your trust in money because your money will not save you. Your retirement account will not save you. We need to trust in God. Money is a good thing. We need to use it wisely, but we do not need to trust in that. Verse 13, consider the work of God for who can straighten out what he has made crooked. Now, that's an interesting way to put things that God has made things crooked. Perhaps what it's saying there is, look, this world is not good. We see that. And, and God allows things to take place. Now, I don't believe God said, look, I'm going to make these things happen. I'm going to make sin occur, and I'm going I'm to make this world evil. This is how I want it to be. I don't think that that's what God did. Not at all. Uh, what God did was he created humani- humanity, and humanity chose not to be obedient to God. And the result of that is sin. Sin. And God could intervene, and in fact, he did intervene through Jesus Christ crucified. And that's part of his plan of redemption for sin. But God has allowed things to go as they have because that is God's way of doing things. Now, we may say, well, that's not right. I could do it better. But we couldn't. We couldn't do it better. If God has allowed the world to, 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 to come about as it is, it's because that's the best way for it to come about because God is perfect in every way. So who are we to question God? Consider the work of God. Who can straighten out what he has made? Crooked. We can't do anything any better than what God has done. So whether we like it or not, no one can say of God, the scripture says that God is not fair. He is fair and he is right in what he does. So we have to trust the process. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man cannot discover anything that will come after him. Now, we have probably all had these two different days that are talked about. The day of prosperity and the day of adversity. Those come. Now, you may be sitting here today, and you may be in a day of prosperity. Praise the Lord. What does he say? He says, be joyful. When God has blessed us and things are going good then we need to rejoice in that, we need to praise God, and we need to enjoy the things that God has given us within reason and not go crazy and not, not put those things before God, but to find some enjoyment in the good things that God has given us, perhaps perhaps in wealth, perhaps in health, perhaps with our family, that we enjoy the good things that God has given us. That's a good thing. So when we're in a season of prosperity, we need to praise God. But what else does it say? But in the day of adversity, consider that God has made one as well as the other. God is still in control. There's nothing that occurs that God does not allow to occur. And so we don't need to praise God when all is good and not praise Him when things are bad. God allows both things. He gets us through the days of adversity just as He blesses us in the days of prosperity. And so the point being here in this verse is that there are ups and downs in life And you don't know what the future is going to hold That's what he says at the end of the verse uh, So that man cannot discover anything That will come after him You can't predict what next week's going to be like Because you look back at your life And what does your life look like? It looks like a roller coaster It's seasons that are great And it's seasons that are bad And it's seasons that are great And it's seasons that are bad So what's the next season going to be? Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be good? Well, it could be both It could be neither It could be bad, bad It could be good, good We don't know what the future is going to hold. So we can't focus on that. We can't dwell on that. We just have to know that God is in control. Whatever occurs, we need to enjoy what God has given us. We need to praise Him on the good days, and we need to praise Him on the bad days and not worry about the future so much as living for the here and now so that we will do what is good, what God calls us to, so that we can make a good name not for ourselves, but that we can make a good name for God, that we would be those who, who are wise, that find the, the wisdom of God and do the work of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good verses. It's a lot for us to consider. I pray, God, that we would not fall into the trap of just trying to look good and smell good on the outside, but we would work on what's on the inside, dear Lord, on our heart. Dear Lord, that's where the, that's where the nasty stuff comes from. So help us not to have nasty hearts, but clean our hearts, dear Lord, by allowing us to seek you and put our faith and trust in jesus christ i pray that we would not be those who are foolish in the way that we live but we would be those who are wise who fear you who seek you let us listen to the rebukes of your word dear lord or maybe even those you put in our path that we would grow in those things god i pray that you help us to praise you on the good days and on the bad and not worry too much about the future because today's got enough troubles of its own dear lord so let us Trust you today with all of our heart. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.